Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today, I'm speaking to Polly McKeown, who's CEO of Coolmine, about her leadership journey and the role of Coolmine in providing addiction support services for the last 50 years. Polly, you might start by introducing yourself and tell us about your career journey to date and your current leadership role in Coolmine. Thank you for having me on. So I started working in Coolmine 15 years ago. I studied in Manchester, so I'm originally from Antrim the Glens of Antrim, and grew up in a community, um, a Catholic community. And there were several challenges growing up. It was during the the latter end of the Troubles, let's say. I guess there was a very strong prevalence of the women, a very strong prevalence of the mothers, because the men were often away working. And although there was army presence, although there was, you know, various issues around us in terms of um, activity church bomb, things like that, um, stop search and various things like that that would happen. It was very normal for us. It was very everyday kind of behaviour that we were exposed to. And I guess just having that network of strong women around kind of protected us a lot. So for us, it wasn't a huge impact, you know, growing up in Antrim. And I guess from there then, there was a, a small community and my uncle owned the pub in the village so we all had worked there we worked at an early age and got going in that but I think it gave me a great introduction to social skills and just that engagement with people and talking to people and understanding where they were coming from but it also gave me that perspective where I seen the impact of addiction in the pub setting in a rural setting where you know, there was people who had had experiences that were in the pub to drink to block out those experiences. And particularly during the Troubles, you would you knew certain people that were in the bar would have had, you know, maybe lost a loved one or been exposed to basically a murder, you know, and, and, and they were using sure. substances to overcome. So I guess from that perspective growing up, I always kind of was very attuned to social justice issues and... Very much being a person that was the impact of a community that, you know, there was paramilitary activity in that on the periphery. You're very tuned to there was more, there was something better, that this wasn't right and that society could do better and that we needed to respond more. Um, So that took me off to Manchester and I went to Manchester to study and from Manchester then moved down to London and again, the bar work was always the consistent piece. That, that There was always the capacity to work because you'd worked in yeah. bars. And then I had started to, to, to work and volunteer, should I say, in the London Irish Centre. And that, to me, something really struck there because what that was was vulnerable, isolated people in, Irish society, in, in England from Mayo from Kerry, from Antrim, people who'd gone in search of a better life, people who'd gone in search with the best, the biggest dreams, you know. 
and that they were going to do really well. And that just hadn't been the case for them. Yeah. So I know, I, I, know. I had an uncle that was very similar, went over in the late 40s, didn't work out for him, and was, was embarrassed yeah. about, the, about how it hadn't worked out for him. And I remember a social worker contacted me trying to say, I went over, and he just disappeared. He didn't want to be seen by his nephew. So I, I, I'm very familiar with that. That trajectory. That, that trajectory that not everybody... It worked out for them, and it was a very lonely existence for a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so, Jermyn. And I think that that, that that so from volunteering in the London Irish Centre, then I started to train and work with homeless Irish people. The last job I had before I left London, I was there for a number of years, for about five six years, and the last job I had was the Irish support worker on Cricklewood Homeless Concern, and that was just such a privilege. And such learning I got and such awareness I got. Um, but the one thing that struck throughout all of that, everybody had their own story. Everybody's journey was so unique. Everybody had their own set of challenges. And they were just really, really lost at that time. They just really were. So we set up the Ashley Return to Ireland project and I volunteered on, on that as well. Um, put simply, what we done is, like your uncle, but you gathered up some of the homeless street drinkers, supported them that they were well enough that we could bring them on a minibus, on the ferry, over to Ireland. We'd take them away for a week's residential. Now, the principle behind that was harm reduction. The principle behind that was that people were going to... Con- the lads and lassies were going to continue to drink but they were going to drink in the pub. <laughs> that was the goal. So instead of drinking tenants extra on the streets of London, we were going to get them down a little bit safely, but that they would drink in the pub. And the outcomes from that, like you described, Jeremy, for your uncle, where he was so afraid and so ashamed that he took off. The, the Ashley Return to Ireland project was able to support people. So over the course of that uh, time, we would get them a new set of clothes. We would support them emotionally. And in their own time during the course of that week, we would suggest a trip back towards the family home. My job before we left in London was to try and make contact with family to see if anyone did what... Because you didn't know what had happened yeah, either, you know? But transformational for people. They all come back to London. You know, nine times out of ten, they had a connection to a family member. The family member, you know, there's stories there where you'd arrive with Johnny and his sister thought he was dead because there'd been nothing. So it was really, really emotional work. But the impact of it was so amazing and so transformative. And then when they come back to London, the clients come back to London... They themselves, that the, there was a better quality of life. There was a better quality of life for them. They would keep in touch a little bit more regularly <laughs> than certainly have been the experience. The homelessness was a massive issue for people, but for me, it was always about there was you know the underlying addiction issues and the reasons for those addiction issues was where really transformative work could do to support people. So from London then I moved to Dublin and I worked with the Dublin Simon community and then with moved over to Coalmine. Okay, let's talk about Coalmine because Coalmine is 50 years and it's in a sort of a special band of groups that not too many organisations get to get to 50. So that's an, an amazing 
uh, achievements. So, but for those that may not be familiar with Coal Mine Treatment Centre, might give us a, a sense of what, what you do and the range of activities that you, you're involved in. So, Coal Mine is a national drug and alcohol treatment centre. So, we provide a range of day, so inpatient, um, day community and residential treatment services for people and their families affected by problem drug and alcohol use. And we have a number of services in the East region. We have two residential communities and three outpatient programmes. We have two services in the Midwest, um, a residential in a day, and we have six services across the Cork Kerry region that have been developed in the last three years. But I guess that tells you about the services, but it's the people that we work with. And the people that Coomine work with are often quite marginalised, they're coming from a lot of social deprivation. So we would provide treatment pathways for homeless people, for traveller community members, for people within the criminal justice system, uh, for women. We have a strong, strong service delivery for women um, that recognises their role as a mother um, and indeed for pregnant women too to ensure that they can maintain their mother role and that we can support them to have their unborn child or their children with them in treatment. And whether that's for the women or the connections and the work we do with the families, the fathers who are engaged in our services too, to ensure that they can be the best parent that they can be because they may have been absent from their child's life, to ensure that they can be the best parent that they can be, we provide the Parents Under Pressure programme. And... All of that, Jermud, is about breaking generational cycles of addiction, homelessness, deprivation, criminal justice issues in Irish society. Because we know that the services, when they're there, and secondly, when they're available, that people can and do recover from problem substance use. And I think that one of the Possibly one of the biggest achievements in, in coal mine over 50 years um, has been the publication of our Longitudinal Outcomes Study. And we published that back in 2016. But that was a project that tracked 144 people through our primary treatment services for a period of two years. And what that told us was that... What that told us, it was 7 out of 10 were illicit drug-free two years after treatment in coma. It told us that 98% were not engaged in any form of criminal activity. It told us that 49% were engaged in employment or education. And I think perhaps most importantly, it told us that quality of life and relationships had improved massively. Uh, you know, that getting that kind of information because and being able to produce the evidence, it sort of creates a validation for the work, but also you would hope that this would also encourage funders to sort of say, yeah, this, this programme is working and, and the benefit for society is massive even you have, yes. when you have yeah. these sort of things. So just thinking that over the last 50 years, the remit has probably grown and expanded. So sort of what, what are the major shifts that has happened over those last 50 years? Because you're a very different organisation now. We certainly are. I mean, in 1973, when it all started, um, it started with the residential Coomine Lodge. And that was a mixed service for men and women. 
Um, it, it initially started with a gentleman called Lord Paddy Rossmore. And Paddy Rossmore was in a relationship with um, Marianne Faithful. And he quickly realised Marianne had quite a significant addiction problem. And when he sought to get treatment for her, he couldn't understand why more medication was being given, more tablets, more medication. And he went off to conduct his own research. And that brought him to the therapeutic community model. So instead of medication therapy, it was talking therapy, counselling therapy. And with the support of other therapeutic communities based in London, um, he got a couple of a couple of graduates there. They come over, and with the support of Professor Ivor Brown and the Eastern Health Board, Coalmine Lodge was set up. And I think there's learnings in that. And I think, you know, what has remained very core for Coalmine and for the addiction service provision in Ireland is talking therapy. You know, so it's not all about medication. We don't need a clinical medical response to problem drug use. We need a clinical therapeutic response as well. So over 50 years, I think that Cool Minds Evolution, as with other peer organisations, has enabled us to recognise that we have, we don't need to be governed by a full clinical medical, that it is important to the therapeutic components. Because the talking therapy is the healing. And... That's where recovery really, really can start. And that's very much then where that can be sustained into the future for individuals. So looking at, I guess, the, the, the trends over the sector for the past 50 years, right back then in the 70s, um, problem drug use was more around medication, weed. Then we had the 1980s where we had the heroin epidemic. And that was at a time where we needed to ensure we were bringing in harm reduction measures. That was at a time where methadone was introduced for people. And that was really important because it saved lives. So whilst we have the harm reduction and with treatment and rehabilitation, there's a place and there's a need for all in Irish society today because we need to save lives in order for them to access treatment. It's as simple as that. And we need to ensure we're providing treatment and doing it well and doing it that it's it's well-governed and doing it that it's meeting the needs of the people and that it's responsive to people's needs as well. Yes, indeed. I, over the 50 years, and, and, and just talking to you, can get the passion uh, for the work that you do and, and the impact that you're having on people's lives. Are there particular things over the last number that really stood out and said, yeah, I'm really proud of that, that this is what Cool Mind is all about? I think, Jeremy, it's probably the evolution of the organisation in response to the people's needs and the people that we serve in Coalmine. So when I joined the organisation, we were very much an organisation that needed people to tick boxes before they come in and access treatment. I came from working with homeless people where the <laughs> all bets were off. <laughs> you needed to follow that ladder lassie around the street and support them, show them where the offices are, show them where their doctor is, get them their medical cart, you know, so it was a different approach. So, and I I, uh, joined the organisation with a former colleague as well, who was very entrepreneurial, similar to myself in terms of having worked with the homeless um, community in London. Um, And I think that instantly we knew the organisation needed to transform 
and by that I mean we introduced stabilisation services so instead of having to be abstinent and drug free on point of entry it was a case of we need to provide the pathway that someone can then access the therapeutic community residential treatment or the drug free day programmes because they're not going to do it in a homeless hostel on their own yeah. you know so the, the, I guess we need to, need to be helped the criteria needed to come down so I think one of the first things that I guess I'd reflect on been very proud of about for Coolmine as the organisation is when we introduced methadone detox placements and that was quite a shift for the organisation and took a lot of leadership um, because we had people some people in the organisation who'd worked within the therapeutic community who felt that absence was really important at point of entry. So there was a lot of work done around that. Quite quickly then, it was about evolving and bringing childcare in because we always had low numbers of women accessing service with us. And we went out and we asked the women, we went out and asked the women that couldn't get into us. And we went out and asked the women who left the programme early. Nine times out of ten, it was childcare. Um, and the draw of the guilt of not being the parent to their children whilst they were in treatment Um, and that that was adding to the fact that they may not have been at their full capacity when they were mother to their child or children due to their drug use. So that was the second thing and it was to introduce the childcare into the organisation to enable pregnant women or women with young children to access treatment. Um, And then... As we, like everything, you think you introduce this one thing and that's it, we've it sorted. By goodness were we wrong because as soon as we introduced the children, we quickly, quickly seen the needs of the children were huge and the mum's capacity to parent was really challenging for them. So again, we thought, okay, how do we evolve this? How are we going to better meet the needs and do the best for these families? And that's where we came across the Parents Under Pressure programme, which is an Australian-based parent and support programme that's very much focused on attachment, mindful parenting, supporting mums, you know, and fathers now across the organisation too, in a case management model. Um, It talks to Tusla. It talks to the children and family social workers because there's a focus. Mum or dad now is a focus on their child development goals because they understand that. They themselves, as the parent, now understand this language that they've heard over the years um, when things weren't good in their in their parenting. So that would be another piece. Um, and again, then the publication of our research over the years too because you're only as good as what you can evidence, you know. And whilst... You know, the publication of the Longitudinal Outcomes Study was a moment in time, I think, for uh, addiction treatment in Ireland, but of course for Coomine. It also points to the need that we continually need to reflect because that longitudinal study told us a certain number of things that women needed more individual counselling than group therapy. That's what that study told us. It told us that the men needed more engagement um, around their criminal justice experiences 
Um, it told us that we needed to integrate and work better in collaboration to ensure housing was available for people after treatment. Our clients' experience is that they're really anxious about having nowhere to go after treatment. So there you go. We go out, we talk to Focus Ireland, we talk to Peter McVeigh Trust, and we get collaborations underway that mean we do our expertise piece and then our peer organisation focus, Peter McVeigh Trust, they come in and take over and do their expertise in terms of housing, housing first, support and ongoing wraparound supports. You've been CEO for 10 years, so I was looking back, say, you're all continually learning and developing. Um, what sort of advice and tips would you give Pauline of today to Pauline in 2013 in terms of being a CEO of an organisation that's done such fantastic work? I think that it probably would be not to doubt yourself, you know, because when you're engaged in large change management projects in an organisation, I think I probably would have said to myself, don't panic, <laughs> you know, um, don't panic. It takes time. Change takes time. Um, so I think that's probably the, the 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 key piece that I would have said is don't panic. You know, there's a great naivety to be in. I always thought, I always think I was a young chief executive that was given an opportunity by a an outgoing chief executive um, who seen something, you know, and and developed and supported me and colleagues in the organisation. Cool Mind's always been a really learning environment and a reflective environment. I guess partly because of the work that's done, but an outgoing chief executive, and I was very much a doubting, I was doubting capability for sure. I was thinking, oh goodness, I won't be fit for that now. And what about that research? Goodness, I won't be able to do that. And there's various things, you know, uh, that you doubt. But there was also, when you take on the role for the first time as the leader of the organisation, the chief executive, um, you kind of are naive about it too you know you're you're a bit blissful you know you're blissfully unaware yes. of the challenge and you kind of go for it yeah. and i think that that was probably it's probably it's a refreshing time that you don't get again and that so i think blissful unawareness <laughs> possibly ca- carried me for the first few years um to be honest with you but um I think that probably one of the key pieces for me and for Coolmine has been the organisation's strong foundations. And I think that that's due to the therapeutic community approach. So, you know, we ask our clients to change their lives. So we as an organisation need to change our lives and how we engage and support the people that we do too. So it's it's quite a transformative organisation ongoing um, and it's one of huge conversation because the therapeutic community is about therapy by the community. The community is the method and the intervention that's used. So it is about talking. There's an awful lot of communicating all the time um, and I think that as the staff and the peer workers and the graduates of the organisation you know, we we hold that where communication is key and is critical. And, you know, to be the chief executive of an organisation, when one of the things I'd map out across the years, the away days, you know, to have regular away days, 
to have a leadership team, you know, bring the team leaders, the project leaders in with the management team and with the senior management team in the organisation because it's all about role modelling and peer learning. That's very much the therapeutic community structure and echoed, I guess, in the work and the organisational structure. And just even just taking the last 10 years, the whole landscape has changed considerably. What for you have been the, the biggest challenges and biggest developments in, in, in the sector? I think that some of the biggest developments in the, the sector have been, well, right now, today, I'll probably start to hone in on the challenges, but I think that the growth of the sector, you know, the growth of service delivery by the not-for-profit sector, um, be that disability services, mental health services, addiction services, homeless services. And I think that as Ireland is challenged by crises, COVID, Ukraine, you know, supporting international protection community members, supporting Ukrainian refugees, increasing levels of homelessness, you know, there's a lot that the not-for-profit sector are asked to do. And staying focused solely on the service delivery isn't possible anymore. And I'm not saying that's not necessarily not a bad thing, Jeremy, because we have to ensure the governance structures are in place. Um, we have to ensure that our organisations are accountable and transparent in their work um, as a not-for-profit organisation. But it is very challenging to deliver increased scale of service delivery. So to expand into new areas of service delivery, to continue to cultivate and grow the current service delivery, which has to continue to respond, to ensure you have the systems, the management, the structures in place, to ensure that the clinical governance is at the highest possible level and reflect it as the organisation grows. Um, and to ensure our staff are being supported and have the capacity to do their job. And all of that takes money and funding. (laughs) And there is that historical, you know, we're there to do the charity role as a charitable organisation. You're there and all your funding should be going to the front line, to the services But with all this increasing demand, we've got to recognise that there is that space and there is that need now to have the central support for the various organisations paid for by the state. It is more than just actual service delivery, as as important that is, but but without the infrastructure around that, you won't be able to deliver to the quality that you need. So even like that, taking that initiative to do that longitudinal study which is transformative, but that took somebody to say, we need this. Yes. We're going to allocate time and resources to do it so that allow us to be a better and more informed organisation. But it's recognising that those investments are very, very important. Very important, because it's not just... It, we learn as a society, um, you know. We learn as a society what's working and what's not working. So I do think there's a need for more of that outcome-based folks. And I guess Cool Mind's always been very outcome-focused. Um, and, you know, as an organisation, it's not, you know, 
Becoming drug-free, maintaining drug-free is a massive challenge. But it has to be, and our job in Cool Mine is to ensure our clients have an education and career pathway. They have somewhere to live. There's significant relationships developed and evolved and blossoming in their lives. Um, they're all the things that keep somebody in recovery. Um and prevent them from going back into the homelessness cycle. Where would you like Coal Mine to be in, say, five years' time? So what, what, what would you say this is like this, the environment to be operating in? I think two things. One is that there's particular non-joined-up areas of strategy and policy right now. And we would work with a lot of people from the prison directly or people who would have had a prison experience and to provide a therapeutic community within the Irish prison service I think would decrease would decrease the trajectory for some of the people who end up in prison with their associated drug use so I think that would be key critical now that's something that Coal Mine have muted and worked on for 10 years, but it doesn't seem to be shifting forward in the thinking just yet. But I think that more therapeutic communities, as in the approach that's used because it works and because the evidence is there, in five years it would be great to see that within the criminal justice setting, for sure. I think that in five years' time I'd like to see the Parents Under Pressure programme available in every county in Ireland for every high-risk family because they are in every corner and in every county. And what I mean there is that not not, not, not necessarily coal mine service, but we've established a Parents Under Pressure training hub here with Professor Sharon Dahl from the University of Brisbane, Australia. So Sharon comes over and we now have trainers in coal mine and we're training various other uh, sectoral organisations, children and family social workers in the approach where they become accredited and pop therapists so they're able to, to work that programme locally in the community. But it would be great to see a strategy joined up between children and health that would be delivering that within resource centres, community resource centres in counties that are accessible for people in rural communities. Drug use is increasing. Um, problem drug use is increasing. It's probably only about ten percent of the population in Ireland that um, who use drugs will have that problematic for a period of their life. But when it does, it's very, very dark, and homelessness features very quickly. Criminal justice, family relationships break down very, very quickly. So I think right now. We have a historic moment in Irish society because we have the Citizens' Assembly on drugs underway. So we have a really historic moment in Irish society right now because government, the Department of the Taoiseach, has set up a Citizens' Assembly on drugs. So the Citizens' Assembly on drugs is to look at problem drug use in Irish society, what's working, what's not, what needs to be done. What it is, is it runs from April through to October. 
it's 99 members that were randomly selected of Irish society, which is a model I really like. And we know from previous citizens' assemblies, the quality of the work that's done. It's led to referendums. It's led to a change in our constitution. and it's led, So it's a really, really important time um, that we have right now. So the Citizens' Assembly will meet up until um, October and then they will deliver a report to government by December, by the end of the year. And that will make various recommendations for how we treat drugs use in Irish society. And what's been great to see as that's evolving, um, the, the work of the Citizens' Assembly is evolving, is the voice of people with lived experience. It's the voice of family members impacted by problem drug use, the voice of people in recovery, the voice of people who are still struggling with their drug use, um, and the voice of people who are recreationally using drug use, because those are all the perspectives we should have, you know? Because, you know, drug use isn't a problem for everyone, you know? It's when it gets to, you know, when it gets to a level for people or when there's, when people, we know there's a link There's a recent publication where the Health Research Board looked at the drug treatment episodes and Pubble looked at their deprivation index. So they came together and published a deprivation index. It showed us the disproportionate representation of drug treatment episodes to areas of social deprivation. Sounds simple. Sounds like, well, we always knew that. But it's very stark when the evidence is there and you actually see it. And you see the scale, you know, of that. So I think the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs are really important um, work. And we were honoured to have um, 50 members, half the Assembly visit Coal Mine Services part of their May proceedings. They came and done a site visit and another 50 went to Merchants Quay, um, Ireland as well, just to come and immerse into a service and see it as it works and as it operates. Because it is important to do that, because people would have images of what they think it is, but when you actually go and see the, the, yeah. the service, um, I think it can be very, very powerful in terms of helping people understand. Yeah, completely. So I think that coming out of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs... Um, you know, we are looking at, at what's needed then within Irish society. And I do think we will need to consider a scale-up of health services to support people with problem substance use. That's evident, um, and I think the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs will highlight that even further. I think it's a huge opportunity, and hopefully it'll get the outcomes that, that I think it deserves. But, Pauline, this has been fantastic talking to you. I have learned a lot. I thought I knew uh, about the, the area, but um, it's been great to get this insight um, and a fantastic work that Cool Mind is doing so here's well done and the 50 years and the valuable work that you're doing for Irish society thank you Pauline thank you thank you very much for having me on thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts so until the next time Slán Gofol Thank you.